Hello, everybody. Welcome to the very first episode of AMA, where I'm going to do the very best that I can to answer your questions. Which, by the way, if you'd like to send in some questions and to engage in this conversation, please just send me an email at itsien at impactyourlife.ca. That's itsien, that's E-T-I-E-N-N-E at impactyourlife.ca. And uh, something that's worth noting is that if you'd like to remain anonymous, please just say so, because otherwise I will be giving you a shout out, because I really appreciate you guys spending the time to send in some messages and, and questions and really to engage in this. It's, uh, it's definitely a lot of fun, and I really appreciate it. Um, so uh, without further ado, let's get started. So kicking us off today is Jenna. So Jenna is a current client of mine uh, who's had some really incredible results um, pertaining to decreasing uh, low back pain and uh, discomfort in the, in the upper back. And uh, so her question is as follows, which is, how do you structure a session? And so... Um, we're going to need to take a little bit of a step back here to give a little bit of context to this um, uh, because ultimately when it comes to a session, as much as I have a rough draft, I don't plan things to the point where things are set in stone. And, and the reason for that is it's ultimately just based off of trial and error. So when I first started as a personal trainer, um, I was very much taught you know, that we need to follow a certain um, you know, certain different cycles in terms of program design that we need to break things down into, you know, workouts, um, weeks of training, months of training, and then years of training. And so macro, uh, micro, macro, and mesocycles, and, and you know, <laughs> that's the wrong order. But uh, in any case, uh, it'll little itty bitty blocks, and then bigger blocks of training so that we can have, uh, so we can paint a big picture. And no, that's all fine and dandy. However, here's the problem that I was running into is that in particular, when it comes to slightly more, you know, quote unquote, not, not fragile, um, demographics, but in particular people who, um, who have maybe experienced trauma in the past or, um, you know, like physical trauma or have had recurring injuries or have been living with pain for a long time, their bodies are very sensitive. And in my experience, the dosage of what we give the body needs to be very specific and, um, when we essentially, you know, if, if we talk about what is common when it comes to the exercise journey, what's really common is that we would start off with an assessment and then we would extrapolate days, weeks, and months of training based off of that initial assessment. And so there are, there are some fundamental problems with that. And within the medical community, one thing in particular that they make reference to is white coat syndrome in which the client comes in, they're nervous, they're on their best behavior, you know, their posture, they, they might be standing up straight if, um, if they're particularly paying, uh, you know, paying close attention to it. So they're consciously holding themselves in a certain position. Um, or perhaps they're feeling really insecure and the opposite is happening and they're, and you know, they're rounded forward they're you know, they're averting, uh, um, your gaze, but in any case, they're not making eye contact. They're looking down, um, because they're just, they're, they're shy and they're, and they're nervous. And maybe they're feeling a little bit insecure about this whole process. And if we, if we make a, you know, months worth of decisions off of that initial judgment call, I think, I think there's some, a lot of potential problems there, um, purely based off of that. In addition to that, on a daily basis, our body is constantly adapting to what it is doing. It's being primed for what it is doing. So for instance, right now, I'm sitting, um, I'm sitting in a back room uh, at my work, and I'm sitting like on the edge of my chair, sitting relatively upright. And so right now, my body is being primed for 
this, um, in contrast to like, you know, if I was to get up and start running, my hips might feel a little bit tight, largely because my body was being primed to the seated position, seated position, pardon me. My current settings were being optimized for the seated position in contrast to movement. And so, um, the reason why I bring that up is that what people have been doing on a day-to-day -day basis ultimately alters their current settings. And so, so if a client's coming in on a, on a certain day and, and maybe they just spent 45 minutes in the car. Um, so their body has been locked into a given position, um, which influences the physical realities of their body, but also perhaps, uh, not perhaps, but definitely their psychological realities in terms of how they're showing up and where their headspace is at and where their headspace is or isn't is going to influence the, the exercise process in my, in my experience. Um, if, if someone's for instance, feeling really stressed or really short, um, or really flustered, um, they tend to respond to certain stimuli better in contrast to if you're focused and calm, maybe after a long days, uh, a long night's rest or whatever it may be, um, then the body will be more prone to accepting certain stressors under certain states. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I guess coming, coming back to it, um, I tend to because of those variables, meaning um, I, I do not do an initial assessment and then extrapolate an entire program off of that because there's too much variability from week to week, hour by hour, um, and, 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 and day by day. So, um, so every single session starts off with an assessment and we check in because I want to know how is your body feeling um, physically, um, Where's your headspace at? Like, are you doing, how are you having a good day, bad day, et cetera? Because ultimately that affects your tolerance of the amount of load that you can, that you can take on because load isn't limited solely to physical load. There's also cognitive load. And so if I'm going to be teaching you, for instance, like a big, maybe, maybe my intention that day was to really reframe pain. Like, all right, cool. Like we're going to dive into this and I'm going to essentially poke a hole in your paradigm so that you can start to reframe and experience pain in a different manner. But if you're super, super stressed out and you're tolerance for that based off of my judgment call is slim to none, uh, then, then we're not going to do that that day. And I might focus on, on other things in terms of moving your body that might um, be a little bit more restorative to quote unquote, fill your cup a little bit more. So, um, uh, yeah, every single session really starts off with, with, uh, with us, um, checking in and touching base so we can understand how are you feeling today? But then in addition to that, we want to know how did you respond to our last session? So, um, one of my favorite analogies for this is the suntan versus sunburn analogy. So, um, <clears throat> let's say hypothetically speaking that you, the listener wants to get a really nice tan and, uh, let's say you live in Jamaica and, uh, you know, you're no, um, you, you know, the, the sun, the exposure to the sun isn't foreign to you. It's something that you've experienced before in your life. Um, and so if you could imagine if you wanted to get a greater tan, you would go outside for an extended period of time that would be appropriate for you. If we were to compare your physical reality to maybe that of someone who lives up North, who has had very little sun exposure, that same person, um, who, uh, you know, like they have skin like we do, but because they haven't been exposed to a given stressor, if they were to say, you know what, screw the North, I'm going to Jamaica and I want to get a tan. If they were to spend the same amount of time out in the sun as you did, it likely wouldn't be productive. And the reason why I say that is that ultimately progress is predicated off of our ability to stack doses. It has to do with the, uh, the compound effect of stacking these little wins. And so if you know, when it comes to getting a tan, ideally, like when it, like the, 
the the gold standard or the the bronze standard when it comes to getting a tan is that you want to stress the skin the body creates a response maybe you get a little bit pink but not too much but you want to be able to repeat exposure the following day and then repeat exposure the following day and it's by stacking that over and over and over and over and over again that you get to result really quickly um, and that can only happen if the dose is appropriate if uh, once again, this person from the north goes outside for, let's say, four hours and they in, in the really hot Jamaican sun and they get this massive sunburn to the point where they can't actually have repeated sun exposure for days um, and perhaps they're even blistering then ultimately that stressor was just was just too much, right? So, so um, the reason why I bring this analogy up is this suntan versus sunburn analogy is a really interesting analogy to consider the, the dosage of a given stimulus. And so when a client comes in, if, what, if, if based off of what they're telling me, they're saying, you know, maybe I was, I was a little bit tender and things got worked and maybe things, things flared up for a few hours, but then it came right back down and I feel great right now. <clears throat> All those are indicators that the dosage was bordering on something that would make them quote unquote, maybe a little bit pink, right? And that uh, we may have exceeded their current tolerance a little, little bit, but it didn't blow a gasket. And now it looks like their new baseline um, is actually better and that much more resilient in contrast to maybe we do a workout and this person's sore for seven days or a week or, or an old injury has flared up or whatever it may be, then that gives me insights into myself needing to manipulate the dose, um, in real time and to alter the program that I have in my mind, um, um, so as to best serve them because, Typically, when it comes to a session, I have an idea of what we're going to want to do. So based off of a client, uh, I might say, okay, you know, based off of our last session, we're going to want to work on X, Y, and Z today. But, you know, us working on X, Y, and Z today is predicated off of you having an optimal response to your previous workout. And there are so many factors that are involved in that when it, when it comes to like, you know, stress levels, rest. It could just be a, a miscalculation on my part in that we overdid the dosage on your last session. Um, you know, and so, so we're going to need to make some modifications. So, um, so yeah, so it really, it starts with, with an intake, uh, with an in intake process at the beginning of the hour, because how you show up on a given day is going to be very different than the following days and the following weeks. So, so that's, um, so that's number one. Number two, I do tend to look at certain, um, certain elements, um, of the body on a given basis. So in particular, um, I do have a bias. I do tend to look at things like inner ear function and cerebellar function. Um, so when it comes to coordination and balance, um, because those are very, very, very important. I'm going to say quote unquote systems for the entire organism. And when those systems are off, in my experience, the body's perception of threat goes up really, really, really high. And if your body's feeling threatened, it's very common that performance um, gets dampened and pain increases quite predictably. So um, by impacting those two systems positively, whether it be with warmups or drills or modifications, um, I find that that serves my, my clients really well. Um, and then the, uh, so, so once we get the session started, I do tend to ask myself a few questions um, on a moment by moment and a minute by minute basis. And it's, it's this, um, uh, mnemonic device that I got from RTS, which is called PRAM and PRAM stands for progress, regress, abort, or modify. So on every single thing that we're doing, I'm asking myself, okay, cool. Is this a good time to progress or should we regress? Or, uh, once we go through that, uh, are we going to abort this or do I just need to modify it to tweak it, to, to make it perfect for you? And the modifications can be things pertaining to the cues that we're using, the tone of my voice, um, how I'm using my hands or not using my hands, which words am I using? 
Um, am I getting you to go slow, fast? How am I positioning your body to alter the mechanical realities of a movement, etc.? So there's a lot of things that we can manipulate dynamically to create an appropriate stimulus. And this is where I'm going to shameless, shameless plug the program that I'm working on because Ultimately, if we look at things like, like squatting and lunging, et cetera, on paper, a squat is a squat and a lunge is a lunge, but really there, there are hundreds of ways that we can perform a given exercise that make it either appropriate or not. And the only way that we can really know what type of stressors that we're imposing on the body is to understand, um, through a practical perspective, how does physics work within the lens of, of, of exercise or within, yeah, within the lens of exercise, um, so that we can modify those variables so as to elicit the responses that we want. Because if I just write down squat on someone's, you know, on someone's program that says nothing about foot width that has says nothing about whether or not the toes are angled out or not, that says nothing about the, um, the degree to which their torso is leaning forward, the degree to which their knees go forward past their toes, which for what it's worth, this is a good opportunity to bust a myth. Your knees can potentially go past your toes. It's entirely a case by case scenario, but um, knees going past toes does not make your knees inherently explode. Um, your, your, your knee joint and your patellofemoral joint are very, very able to tolerate that. So knee over toe, go for it, unless there's a very specific reason as to why you shouldn't. So um, yeah, so really the way, the way that I run my business is that it's a very dynamic process. Um, as much as I have a rough draft going into this session, um, everything that I do is client centric. The only thing that I care about is eliciting adaptations that are appropriate for you and that nudge you in the direction, uh, that you want to go. So if that be increased performance in terms of strength or speed or more range of motion, less pain, whatever it may be, I only care about what you care about and, and we manipulate the variables to elicit the responses that you want. Question number two comes from Mark and Mark and I used to work together at uh, good life Queens view. And, uh, he sent in a question, which I think he's just trying to get a rise out of me. Uh, so, uh, too bad, Mark, it's not going to work. Uh, but his question is how do I stretch fascia? And so, um, because I do have a perspective and a point of view on this that might go, that might be contrary to, uh, some individuals in the quote unquote fascial movement. And so the answer to the question, in my experience, how do you stretch fascia is, 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 is with anything. Um, every single thing that you do is going to be fascial in nature. Every single thing that you do is also going to be muscular in nature. Every single thing that you do is going to be neural in nature and even lymphatic. I, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm uh, registered to do a course with Dr. Perry Nicholson to study lymphatics because I know nothing, know nothing about it, but I do know that lymphatics are a part of how the human organism works and the human organism is entirely interdependent, meaning every single system in some way, shape or form influences another. And, um, and, and for that reason, the idea that you can isolate fascia away from something else, I, in my ex experience, doesn't hold up to scrutiny. I've had the pleasure of doing cadaver labs. And when we start looking at the interdependency of the muscular system and the fascial system, it's just like, man, they are one and the same, um, uh, which reinforces the importance and the role of fascia, but it also brings to light that it's like, man, if it's entirely in intertwined, how the heck could you isolate it away from something else? Um, and in my experience, I don't think that that's the case. Um, now that being said, it does bring to light fascial therapies that I am in no way, shape or form bashing fascial therapies. Um, when I was a little bit more closed minded, I definitely did. Um, but as I've gotten older and as I've thought about this more and more, and I have more, uh, more perspective fascial, you know, quote unquote fascial therapies, like fascial stretch therapy or whatever it may be, I believe are very valuable tools. 
my concern and my question is, do they isolate fascia like they say they do? And, and I don't think they do, but that doesn't bring to, that does not question their efficacy. All that I'm doing is questioning the method um, through which it is effective. So if we look at things, for instance, like, like fascial manipulations in particular, when it comes to FST, because that's the primary one that I know, they only really work if you're in a quote unquote parasympathetic state. Um, meaning if you're having a stress response and you're, and you do the same, you do the same exercises, you will not yield the same result. And, and so, so why is that? I mean, if it was just about manipulating joints and tissue, um, then would our headspace and the amount of relaxation that we're under influence things. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure. And so that makes me think that it might not just be solely quote unquote fascial, but there's likely a very substantial neural component. And when we look at things pertaining to how the human organism works, when we look at how human function is quite literally orchestrated, the body is a very predictive organism. We're very symbolic and we attach meaning to things. And so let's say someone's coming in with hip pain, and they've experienced hip pain in their entire life, you know, with everything they've done. And then we managed to get them on a table, get them relaxed. And then using some of the strategies of a given therapy, we can manipulate the hip passively and start to explore joint positions that maybe this person hasn't experienced in a really long time. Um, and we can give them the learning that's like, holy, like, look how well my hip moves and it's not broken. That's a, that's a tremendously valuable learning that, that decreases threat and quite, I'm going to say predictably will influence their outcome in the future and, and how they, and how they move and how they function and whether or not they're afraid to use that hip or not. Right. Um, now is that because they're isolating fascia away from muscle tissue? No, I don't think so. Um, are we, are we influencing, um, however, are we influencing fascia along with muscle and bone and, and all those other things? Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's why my stance on this stuff is that everything that we do is neuromyofascial and even neuro lymphomyofascial, meaning that everything is in everything exercise. Um, and that when we're doing fascial therapies, there's a hundred percent interpersonal dynamics. We are compressing the skin, which means there's tactile information. There's proprioceptive information coming in from joints and, and muscle tissue. And there's a whole lot of information coming from the fascial system as well. But, but to infer that it's, that it's one thing instead of another, I, I don't believe that that's true. But once again, that doesn't take away from its efficacy. And, um, and I'm someone who is very driven by why. I want to understand why things work so that we can be more effective, which is why I'm asking these questions. And um, so if someone has further information about this or if would like to challenge me on it, please do. You can send me a, a, a message um, or maybe I'll have you on the podcast in the future. Okay. Uh, question number three is from Hussein. And his question is, um, what would I teach my younger self? So this is a very difficult question for me to ask. Uh, sorry, pardon me, to answer largely because this past year has been a year of tremendous self-discovery and tremendous growth. And um, so to put my finger on one thing, is really challenging for me. Um, however, the thing that's coming up right now is um, in, in two ways. So there's personal and professional. Excuse me. So we'll start with personal. So what would I tell my younger self when it comes to just general life lessons? What I would tell myself is that you are no different than other people. I have, you know, tons of insecurities. I have tons of fears. And I'm progressively, you know, throughout my life learning um, the, in developing the, the skills so as to not be 
constrained by by fear and to challenge what I what I currently believe is true and to challenge my model of the world um, so that I can live a life a life in in less in less constriction and to live my life in a beautiful state, a state of power and a, a state of service and curiosity in contrast, once again, to a state of fear and judgment and self-preservation and lack. And, um, so in part this, the, you know, where I'm coming from with this, it, what I would tell my younger self is that you are like everyone else, meaning everyone has got stuff. Everyone's got insecurities. You are not more broken than, than other people. Is that the, the 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 nuances of being human just manifest differently, um, person to person, but that we all have insecurities, we all have our own journeys, and and that we ultimately, you know, for an, an, an example of this is that if someone's having a, a bad day or someone lashes out at you, instead of judging them, put yourself in their shoes. When have you not have you, but when have you done the same? <clears throat> and who are you to judge this person? You have no idea what they're going through. You have no idea the suffering and the pain that this person might be experiencing or the anxiety or the fear, right, um, that this person might be experiencing. And so, like, this this perspective has made me incredibly, I'm going to say, like, um, increasingly compassionate and empathic towards people um, and has led me to make fewer assumptions um, about people, fewer judgments and to have less expectations about how I believe people should act based off of what I think is right and, uh, and wrong. <clears throat> so that's on the personal side of things. Professionally, what I would say, <clears throat> wow, excuse me, I have something stuck in my throat. Professionally, what I would tell myself is that ultimately, anytime that you come from a place of service, you're always going to find the answer. Um, coming from a place of service is, is a flexible state to operate from coming from a place of service is very results oriented. It's non egocentric and coming from a, a, a true place of service, um, leads to, in my experience, resourcefulness leads to really hearing what the person in front of you is saying and what they're not saying. Um, you know, so that you can create something that's really custom for them. Um, yeah, I'm coming from an I get to state of mind in contrast to I have to, you know, like even yesterday I had, I had uh, eight clients and I had a two hour meeting and then I had an intake call in the evening. And so that's a, that's a fairly long day. And, uh, initially in the morning I was like, holy smokes, how am I gonna, how am I gonna get through this? And it felt very heavy. And I just reminded myself that this is the perfect quote unquote problem or situation to be in. This is literally like I'm self-employed. I was initially afraid of not, you know, not being able to make it and not having success or whatever it may be. And, and I've got people that are coming from across the city and some from really far away to spend time with me and they trust me and they have faith in my ability to guide them. That's, that's such a, an incredible blessing and privilege to have. And if I remind myself of that, when I remind myself of that, all feelings of heaviness that are associated to a long day, energetically a long day, immediately are lifted. And I feel light and I feel excited and present and, 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 um, I feel awake. I'm not sure if that makes sense to you, but I feel just awake and engaged 
and, and I feel like I can really see the person that's in front of me. And so, um, what I would say professionally is step into a state of mind of just pure service and adopt an, I get to mentality to, um, because ultimately not only does it make the journey just that much more enjoyable and that much more beautiful on my end, it makes it so easy. Um, but it also leads to the flexibility that's required to change things dynamically and, and to get people the results that they want. And, uh, so I hope that answered your question, Hussein. <clears throat> Last question is from my friend Ali from, uh, from Toronto. And, uh, so he sent me a question. So Ali has taken some of the programs with the, the RTS program and he's taken my cadaver lab as well. And his question is, should people train muscles or movements? And so there are different schools of thought in this. However, in my experience, the most appropriate answer with this, it's the least sexy answer. And it's that it really depends. It depends on your goals. And if, so if your goal is muscular hypertrophy, then you should probably be looking at training muscles and looking to put as much tension to muscle tissue as possible. However, if you're looking at a slightly more dynamic, um, uh, how would I say this? Or if you're looking for a result that is influenced by more factors, then taking into account, into account the influence that movement has on the organism is really important. If we look at, you know, um, for instance, the demand that isometrics have on the body neurologically in contrast to complex nonlinear movements, the neural demands in terms of, for instance, the influence of your cerebellum when it comes to dynamic, nonlinear, non-predictable movements where the body needs to, to do more error detection is very different than an isometric. And isometrics are, are an incredibly valuable tool, but it just doesn't elicit the same response as movement does. And so I don't think that one is necessarily better than another, but I think we need to ask ourselves, where do these pieces fit? Not, not do they fit, you know, if we were to compare this to a puzzle, I don't think we should be asking ourselves like, is this a worthwhile tool? But rather we should be asking ourselves, okay, what, what, how could I leverage this tool to, to help my people? And, um, so once again, asking ourselves, where do they fit and how do they fit? Not do they fit? I think is the most important thing. So to answer your question, Ali, I think, it, I think it ultimately, it, it depends. It's the least sexy answer. Um, but I think you'd agree with me on that. And, um, and depending on the goals and the adaptations that you're looking to elicit, that is what's going to dictate whether or not you should be training, training muscles and, or training movements. So folks, that's it for our first, uh, first episode of AMA. I hope that you found it uh, was informative and, uh, and valuable to you. Um, so once again, if you'd like to send in your questions, please send an email to Etienne at impactyourlife.ca. That's E-T-I-E-N-N-E at impactyourlife.ca. And once again, if you'd like to remain anonymous, please just say so. Otherwise, I am going to be giving you a shout out. Thanks again for listening, guys. I really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm so grateful for you sending in your questions. Please keep them coming. Uh, this is really fun for me. And I hope once again that it was valuable for you. Live your best life, my friends. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye for now. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And if this content is providing value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Google Podcasts, and leave us a review. That helps us grow this community in a really big way. And it also helps us bring on people that you want to hear from in the future. Once again, guys, thanks again so much for listening. And until next time, my friends, live your best life. Bye for now.